Mecham Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Mecham's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairground. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Mecham experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Mecham.com. What do you think you are doing? Hey, John Boy. I'm telling you straight, it's my way or the highway. So anybody wants to walk, do it now. Hey, everybody, we're all going to get late. <laughs> Six for the Maniac! Touchdown, I-N-D-Y! Yes, sir! Yeah. Oh, oh, the thickest double time! Miles Turner! Yeah! John, I have never been better to be on the air with you here in Indianapolis, a place where so many of my dreams have come true. The Ride with JMV on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Hey, welcome in on a busy Tuesday. I'll give you the lineup coming up in a bit. Man, shame on Buffalo last night. I mean, Buffalo in in week number one is still a long way to go, and certainly they did not lose their star quality upper 30s nearing 40 quarterback with an Achilles injury for the season last night as the Jets did, but man, what an absolute mess that their quarterback was. Josh Allen was completely discombobulated. I mean, discom- he owned it afterwards, too. You know, after the fact, after the discombobulation. But, man, was he awful. He was almost, it was like, you guys ever get entertained by awful? Yeah, sure you do. Three hours a day from three until six. But you know what I mean during a game? When you almost get some entertainment value out of, holy crap, can this get any worse? And it just kept getting worse last night. And you know, watching everybody kind of evaluate the whole injury to Aaron Rodgers, what, four plays in, whatever, Achilles injury done for the year. Watching that evolve live, especially with the Manning cast, was was outstanding. I, I tell you this: I watched the Manning cast, but I also switched back and forth because I like Joe Buck and I like Troy Aikman. And there are sometimes when you just want to get the nuts and the bolts of the game as it's being played, and then other times, you know, you get what uh, the Manning brothers have to offer. But watching this all take shape with Peyton and Eli Manning was fairly classic last night, too. And I know that you've heard this because that's all that is being discussed on ESPN is that Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers, probably the most interesting asset in the offseason of discussion. When you look at an NFL team and why people believe it to be possibly a Super Bowl contender from where the Jets were with the addition of Aaron Rodgers, and we saw all that disappear in one fell swoop last night. I think the Jets' defense is really good, by the way. I can watch the Jets' defense play. They are tough. Their corners are tough. I, I like watching Sauce Gardner and, and Stephon Diggs go at one another. And then obviously Buffalo got down the field late in the game because Diggs went on the other side. They had to deal with Allen. But their defense is tough. But shame on Buffalo. I know it's week number one. But again, you evaluate the game that's being played, and Buffalo is a contender. 
Didn't look too much like one last night. Their quarterback was Fubar. I mean, bad. One guy three times picked him off, and then you fumble. I just don't know what else you can do. I guess if you want to give credit where credit is due, he he owned up and said, hey, I'm the reason why we lost the game. But that was pretty ugly. Now, I don't know if I would automatically vault Miami into the front-runner status because they, they go on the road and beat the Chargers, but we know what the Chargers are. The Chargers are a team that's got a great deal of talent that always ends up gagging. And it doesn't matter if it's week number one or into the postseason. And you go out there, there's zero home field advantage where they play. I mean, nobody really cares. So that's a little bit different, but I like the way that the season is shaping up so far. A lot of uh, interesting things that I know a lot of people are saying, hey, the Cowboys are back. We shall see. Yeah, the Packers in Chicago over the weekend, the Lions starting out on Thursday, week one of the 2023 season, getting that win in Kansas City. Hey, how about the Falcons? Falcons have a running back. Falcons have a running game. Uh, Buccaneers, surprising. Saints, maybe not so much against the Titans. Maybe the biggest surprise of the weekend outside of, obviously, last night. The Rams on the road at Seattle. Niners throttling Pittsburgh. You had all this envisioned greatness in Pittsburgh in year number two for Kenny Pickett, and it took basically one game to completely dissolve that. And that was a tough defense and Brock Purdy of that Niners offense. So, yes, it was an interesting uh, week number one of the NFL season. A quick shout yesterday for everybody that came by, everybody that joined me at Twin Peaks in Castleton on the northeast side. That was a good time yesterday. We got a lot of reaction in regarding the Colts and the Jaguars in week number one. The Colts making some moves today. Uh, We'll see if there's going to be another move. Maybe we get that move over the course of this afternoon as to what they end up doing uh, at the running back. But a a couple of moves today, certainly, that I'm sure we'll discuss. Maybe not completely, but discuss just a little bit as far as what they decided to do today. And and the Colts, this was an hour ago, uh, signed center Jack Anderson. Uh, running back Tyler Goodson and tight end Jordan Murray to the practice squad. Uh, they cut loose running back Jason Huntley, Johnny Lumpkin, who's a tight end, and Mike Strawn, the wide receiver, released from the practice squad. But you would have to think, right? You would have to think at some point in the next 24-plus that they're going to make an addition at running back of a veteran name that we know. Listen, I'll throw around some. It's really the usual suspects here, but Kenyon Drake was here. Kenyon Drake still, last check, not on a team. You know, maybe in a week's worth of trying to get somebody out there that's a veteran that's already been through this for the most part. Kenyon Drake, I guess, makes makes a lot of sense, especially if you're just going to try to piece this thing together. I mean, it's not like you're going out there, well, we got to get somebody that's going to produce right now. Like, the Jets are thinking about it in terms of their replacement for Aaron Rodgers as, all right, we don't believe in Zach Wilson as the backup. Who is out there that we can go get? Oh, we're getting the usual suspects with that, too. I love it. Tom Brady's been mentioned. Matt, The Matt Ryan mention is awesome. 
you know, nothing against the dude whatsoever. I don't feel bad for the dude because he gets millions upon millions of dollars, made millions of dollars for doing nothing, um, and was worth nothing last year. But honestly, who in their right mind that saw him play a year ago <laughs> believes that he would be any sort of reasonable, any sort of of feasible option for the Jets moving forward here? Uh, yet his name has been dropped in there. Now here, it's probably going to be somebody that is aware of of the system that can go out there and play coming up on Sunday. I mean, let's face it. I mean, how seriously have they taken these skill positions? I mean, how seriously? Like, for everybody out there that thinks, well, you're going to go out there and you got to do this and you got to do that, and, you know, this is really important, and certainly it is. But if it were as important as we make it out to be, then there would be a little bit more focus in on it a, in the past month, when you knew this was coming, or even if you want to go back further than that, this is the type of roster that they set out with. So I, I don't think there's a lot of gnashing of teeth going on over there. I mean, certainly me on the air yesterday, I'm whining and crying about it. Fans are going, what the hell, and putting their arms up. But I don't think that there is a similar sentiment whatsoever going on over there. Because honestly, the proof right there is in the actions in the past. Now, they're the ones that set this up. Hey, yeah, this is going to work. Okay. And everybody else out there saying, yeah, this is probably not going to work or what if. Certainly, maybe they believe a great deal in Zach Moss, A, upon his return, and B, what he can do coming off of that broken arm production-wise. But I'm in the category with you guys. I mean, it's going to be believable when you see it. But I just don't think at all. We're all out here kind of going, well, you got to do this and you got to do that. And it's really important that you go out there. Like I talk about the level of importance that it is. You got to get some support for your quarterback. And that's what they put together. So clearly that's what they want. And they just don't view it as importantly as we might. I hate to use this term, too. We view it from a completely different lens. Ugh. that make you sick. Can you believe I stooped to that level? We view this from a completely different lens. If I'm going to say that, then I'm going to end up bringing some Mount Rushmore of some crap up here in just a minute, too. Come on. But they knew what they were getting into with this group. If it is largely known to us, then certainly I would guess it would have to be <laughs> pretty easy for them to understand that, you know, what they had, regardless of the situation, wasn't going to be it. So I just don't think they're as concerned about it as we might be, you might be, we converse, and I'm sure we will over the course of the afternoon. Uh, regarding this running back situation. So, yeah, my guess all along was going to be Kenyon Drake because he's been here. He's been here and done it and been cut. So we shall see. Uh, we'll talk about that, report some news if it happens over the course of the afternoon. Nate Atkins will join us coming up in the 5 o'clock hour and go over Sunday. You know, it's funny. As much as I talked about you know wanting to be truthful and honest about the way that they played, 
there are certain aspects on Sunday where you can look at it and go, yeah, you know what, that does work. What I guess is more concerning than anything else is just the path that they continue to follow. And what I mean by that is there are a lot of shortcomings that we saw rear their ugly head on Sunday that have been shortcomings for this team for an extended period of time. Isn't that the most concerning part? Like The concerning part, your quarterback can't do it, and we got to be critical of it. But the mistakes are going to be there. You know they're going to be there. And and basically, I was talking with Rick Venturi yesterday and said, here's what happens. I mean, you go through three quarters of the game and you feel really comfortable. And then you just kind of run out of gas in the fourth. And he wasn't talking about from an energy standpoint regarding Anthony Richardson. He was just talking about you, you kind of run out of answers. Because the stuff that had gotten you to that point that helped you get that lead, that stuff is now all being taken away. So you you run out of gas. You run out of options. You try to go back to the options that you had prior to, and Jacksonville will be taking those away. Uh, Jacksonville got to take away. So that is all different in the fourth. And that's one of those issues with this team that has been around for more than a minute. It is how they perform in closing moments, in closing moments in the fourth quarter. It was awful last year. And you can easily excuse if you want defensively, whether they're on the field and the offense, three and out, three and out, three and out. So it really gave the defense no chance. But let me tell you this, if you're a really good defense or if you look in the mirror and view yourself as a really good defense, even if you have to be placed in a situation that's not enviable, you know, a short field, you know, coming off um, coming off a turnover, whatever, you still prioritize at the very least trying to hold a team to a field goal. And what you end up doing as a defense is you give up two touchdowns, and that still goes on your resume. It goes on your resume as surrendering 14 points in the fourth quarter. And then that resume is magnified considering how this team did defensively a year ago late in games, which it ranked 32nd. But in large part, it was covered up. In large part, it was excused because there were so many other things for us to complain about or joke about, or laugh about. So many other things going on. And then everybody said, well, you know what? This is not on the defense. This is on Matt Ryan because he's old and decrepit and can't move, and he stings and noodle arm. And while all of those things may be true, it it also is true that this defense gagged up a lot late in game situations that you could have won a year ago. You could have won and maybe kept your interim coach around, which I know a lot of you probably don't like that notion, but seriously, 32nd in the NFL a year ago in fourth quarter defense. And then unfortunately, you look strong, get a takeaway and a touchdown. And again, we went over individually speaking from, from Zaire Franklin to EJ Speed. The, I liked the way that Shaquille Leonard came back. Uh, that was a, a nice first game. 
you know, I didn't laud them, but in in what I was expecting in that secondary, I, I thought they hung. I thought they tried to play tough. They're just not with it yet. They they may melt, you know, once that advanced scout gets out there on them right now. But all in all, against this Jaguars defense, I didn't mind the way that they played in the secondary. And let's think about it, that the touchdown to Ridley, I mean – there was no pressure. Trevor Lawrence was moving around for about 30 seconds. You can't protect. You can't defend for that long. So I give the the secondary. I thought they were better than what, what I had felt they were going to look like going in. However, that bar certainly was not set very high. And again, made a play. You know, scoop and score defensively. And then, unfortunately, you get into the fourth quarter. And again, regardless of the situation and how much you want to place you know, on that being on the offense for not getting anything done, for not getting a first down, for not extending any drives whatsoever, you know, not even in the field goal range. You know, as much as you want to put on them, it is still up to that defense to say, all right, you know, we're in a bad spot here, but at the very least, let's hold this team to a field goal. And you give up 14 in the fourth, and that goes on your resume and looks very much similar to some of those fourth quarters that we saw a year ago. So that's unfortunate. It's it's that part of it that is still here. And then it's the short yardage aspect. And if you listened yesterday, I, I struggled with trying to come up with an adequate way to describe the offensive line. Because it, on face value, it, it didn't look like to me they played that bad. Again, at face value. But then when you look, you look at the rushing numbers, and we're solely putting that on Deion Jackson and – you know, in company right there, they're 1.5 yards per carry average from Sunday. And then again, what does rear its ugly head is short yarded situations. And we thought this would change new offensive philosophy, new coach, new offensive line coach. And it would help if you had some skill position talent. Don't get me wrong. It would help. Well, they're just not even opening up a crease. Well, would you have home run hitting type of talent that's sitting somewhere disgruntled with his arms crossed and a frown on his face trying to rehab whatever he's rehabbing right now? My man is going to be rehabbed like crazy. He's like doubling the rehab. <laughs> he's going to be over overhabbed, I think, is what he's going to be. But you still get the same set of circumstances. Those are the two major problems that I felt came out of that game. Because those are two things that we have talked about, again, at length around here, and two things that popped up with a new coach, a new quarterback, a new system. You know, your linebacker being back having the edge along the defensive line, and realistically, your secondary not playing to the level in which most of us felt it was going to, meaning it played better than what we thought. Those are the problems I have. I mean, all this other stuff we'll see. You know, how they end up handling Anthony Richardson moving forward, you know, the play calling. 
you know, how this looks coming up in Houston. People have asked me, so what do you expect? Houston looked like an absolute mess on Sunday in Baltimore. Do you give the Colts an opportunity? I, I do. Yeah, the problem is this fourth quarter stuff is what really worries you because you got there on Sunday and then, man, everything stopped on both sides of the football. And you can look at it offensively as, well, they, they finally got to the quarterback, meaning, as I mentioned earlier, and what Rick Venturi talked to me about off the air was he just kind of ran out of answers. I think he described it as running out of gas, and it wasn't from an energy standpoint. It was more from a, you know, being able to push the ball down the field because it was Jacksonville defensively that had all the answers. So that was problematic in the fourth, and then, you know, this defense, this defense uh, in the fourth quarter. And this defense in the fourth quarter, you know, not being able to uh, to close things. Even when placed in a bad situation, you, you still have to be able to step up. If, if you're going to be described in, in what you believe up front, especially, you know, as one of those defensive lines that you're going to have an edge, that's where it's going to be. You have to be able to step up in those moments. It's not just all about the first three quarters. And it's really about what takes place late. And that's where this team, unfortunately, failed, and that was late. And a couple of different scenarios in that failure were things that have been around this team uh, even prior to this new regime. So those are the problems for me. So when you ask me, hey, do you think they can beat Houston? Yeah, yeah, of course. Houston's not any good. But... I don't know what you can count on regarding the Colts either. You get out to a lead, you're going to be able to close, going to make some plays. Yeah, I know that we did. We did focus in on a great deal on the skill positions or lack thereof yesterday. There's no question about that. But, I mean, even with that all in mind, they still had an opportunity and and couldn't close it and couldn't close it pretty much with situations that have haunted this team for a while. That's the unfortunate portion of it. And that's something we can talk about over the course of this afternoon. Greg Rakestraw is the host of the fifth quarter Colts huddle, and he's going to join us coming up at the bottom of the hour. We go into week number five already, the high school football season brought to you by CarX, your 14 Central Indiana Joe Childers run CarX locations. I believe our game of the week is going to be Eddie Garrison. Check that. No, it's Brendan King this week, isn't it? Yeah. Brendan King's got the call. That is Warren Central and Ben Davis coming up on Friday night. Uh, Greg and I will talk about that collegiately, too, with IU, Purdue, Notre Dame. And as Larry Bird famously said, stuff I get. Brad Spielberger, PFF, is going to drop in coming up in the 4 o'clock hour. And Nate Atkins of the Star. I don't know if they end up making some sort of veteran move at running back by the time Nate gets on here. Yet that is a, a story that we will follow. And like I mentioned, don't plan on them viewing it as you and I do. We view it like, oh, my goodness, it's life or death. You better go ahead and do something right now or all screwed. They kind of view it as, yeah, this is what we put together, so whatever. (laughs) They don't view it the same way. And I will sit here and tell you, I, I am not a believer in that. 
and the success that is going to come from that. But believe me, I would bet that's exactly how they're thinking about it, which is a complete 180 in terms of need as we're thinking about it. Oh, sure, they want to be able to run the ball better. You have to. But they don't view it. like I can't imagine that they spent three hours yesterday screaming and yelling about the lack of skill position players. You know, questioning whether or not Alec Pierce is ever going to live up to expectations. You know, wondering why Deion Jackson wasn't jettisoned. You know, even scoring a touchdown from 39 yards away, still questioning Michael Pittman Jr., wondering where the tight ends are. You know, basically your skill position players, your pass catchers, your runners of the football, that's what we were doing. They know that they have to run the football better. They just don't view it. They don't view it as, oh, my goodness, this is an emergency, I'm sure, like we do. Which I I think, to me, that has been longstanding an issue. That's how I view it. I kind of view it as it's not just about this moment as it has been about this same routine in the past. And if, if you're truly going to move forward and be different, as people like to talk about Chris Ballard being, if you're going to you know, change up your blueprint and, and philosophically change how you view you build a winning, a successful football team, you really do need to start there, don't you? And that's why I'm not completely on board with him dismissing exactly his beliefs in how a team is made to a championship level which will always bring up a tremendous question mark from me. All right, 239-1070. Email address com. Inside the lounge via YouTube Live. Thank you all for joining me in there. I'll get in there with you in a minute. We'll see what you guys are talking about. Nate Atkins, Brad Spielberger of PFF, and Greg Rakestraw set to join us too. Yeah, Monday Night Football had a definite twist last night. It did. So, yeah, get ready. It's weird. I don't know if you're going to get more Jets conversation if they were good with Aaron Rodgers. I'm talking about ESPN. Or if they're now searching for somebody else because Aaron Rodgers is done for the season. If you're somebody that gets sick and tired of national Jets conversation around here, uh, you may have bought yourself even more with the circumstances of last night. A little baseball mixed in as well. I mentioned collegiate and high school football all coming up. The stream, the app, HD radio. Don't go anywhere. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. The Ride with JMV. Let me have a Diablo sandwich, a Dr. Pepper. Make it fast. I'm in a damn hurry. 93.5 and 107. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Five, the fan. Rake Straw coming up in just a minute. He's going to call us. Brad Spielberger of PFF is going to be here as well. Uh, Nate Atkins of the Star also will drop by. 
Yeah, somebody just asked me when the expectation is for Pearl Jam to reschedule Ruoff Home Mortgage Music Center. If uh, Kyle is out there listening of Live Nation, man, give me a shout and tell me when because I don't have any rightly idea when that might occur. I don't. Of course, that was scheduled for Sunday night, and then ultimately that did not happen. Uh, it was postponed to an illness in the band, I believe, was the uh, reason behind that. But I, I don't have an answer for those of you asking that question right now. Hey, JMV, so I saw this Louisville talk show host go all in on Indiana football for breaking off that that year with Louisville um, and playing a lower level of football, presumably to get a win, calling it embarrassing and going all in on the fan base and IU football for doing just that, for being soft. Well, here's one thing. I mean, how much more can a a Louisville talk show host or anybody else for that matter go all in, and this is air quoting here on IU football, look at the results here. What do they call that? And I hate this. That's kind of low-hanging fruit here, for one. And I would also suggest to the other, if I'm a Louisville talk show host and and honestly look in the mirror with the team that I cover and the issues that it has had, I, I probably would just shut the blank up, honestly. I would probably look at that and go, and I know that the, the situations are different, but it's it's not like that anything Louisville, especially basketball with that program, has been cloaked in glory. And this is not me trying to come to defense of IU football or Tom Allen or anything like that. It's just me answering a question that somebody put out there as far as, like, like I understand what IU football is doing. Um, it, IU football is a very, very low target especially if you're coming out of Louisville. And if I'm coming out of Louisville, I don't know if I would be defending the greatness and the honor of crap that has happened down there over the past. I just wouldn't. That's my thought. All right. I mean, go all in on IU football. I know. I mean, they get their ass whipped. Probably will for the rest of this season. Maybe not against Akron. But if it's if it came across, I guess as as Rick the way you described it, I just I probably if I'm from Louisville, I would probably consider you know this team that I'm covering and go well wait a minute embarrassing, hold on, <laughs> type of embarrassment's been going on down here. That's just a thought, and I mean if the targets IU football, then so be it. I mean, if I'm all you, if I'm trying to win game, <laughs> trying to win as many games as possible. Get back to that with Greg coming up in a minute. Meantime, 239-1070 is the number. If you guys want to jump on board, we certainly can. If you have any thoughts on my opener regarding the Colts and what I felt was most important coming out of that week one loss to Jacksonville, you know, more so than the other window dressing of, you know, rookie quarterback and, you know, all the stuff that we talked about yesterday. You know, regarding the lack of skill position players, but more about what we have witnessed in the past. That is an unfortunate carryover that at some point has to change. It's easy to see. It is easy to see the skill positions. 
or lack thereof. But there are other aspects of this team that have to change that looked very much so, for example, as it looked a year ago. 239-1070 is the number. Lowell's going to jump on here first. Hello, Lowell. How are you? Oh, just fine. Got a couple things I want to get off my chest. Number one is Chris Ballard selling rocks living in a glass house. Telling JT that we only won four games, but we only won four games because of the team he put together. Uh, Incredibly accurate, yes. And number two, Calvin Ridley. Calvin Ridley's only making $11 million this year. I'll bet you Ballard never even thought about signing him after the suspension that he took. I believe they. Tra- I believe Jacksonville traded for him, but yeah, either way, there was no thought, yes. Yeah, and I guess I'm turning into an anti-Ballard fan, and I've led yeah. Colts loose since Johnny Unitas went in for Earl Morrill. Well, let me tell you what, Joel, so, uh, Lowell, I should say, sorry. Lowell, um, after the first six years of this and the lack of results going into year number seven and then kind of wondering where this thing is going, especially with a lot of the the old situations that are still not getting any better and kind of wondering the philosophy here, I don't think anybody would blame you, Lowell. Not one ounce. Well, you've got you've got an offensive line that he re- didn't even try to retool this year. That was one of the worst lines in the league last year. And he runs the same five guys back. Well, you always get what you always got when you always do what you always did or however in the heck they say that. You know? <laughs> Lowell, there's no doubt. You got anything else? Hey, you got anything else you want to go off on right here, Lowell? Because we're wide yeah, open. Pancake block. That's all we heard out of Big Q for the first three years. He got paid, and we haven't had one from Mrs. Buttersworth since. Uh, the uh, the offensive line, especially in short yardage situations, and, and and Lowell, thank you for the call. I I mentioned this yesterday. I don't know, like I I don't have a great gauge of how they played. I, I think you could probably look at both sides of it. The only thing that I did take away more than anything else was same, kind of the same old things that we have seen in short yardage. And that has to change. And I know that there is a dynamic at work there, too, with the skill position and the running back. But something has to change. And that's what I noticed the most out of it. That's why I need, like, rights or somebody to come on for him to tell me who who's played the position, how he felt they played, because the one major thing that stood out was a major thing that we have seen with this group, and that is just not being able to move anybody off the ball in a short-yarded situation. Uh, that is a thought. Uh, Jonah is at 239-1070. Jonah, jump on the show. How are you, sir? Hey, JMV. How are you? Couldn't be better. I'm glad you're asking. What's up? I'm good. I uh, got some takeaways of the Colts game and some negatives I thought I would be explaining after the game, but a little bit of a flip-flop. The offensive line, yeah, the run block has been better in the past with this offensive line, but I thought the pass protection was actually much better than than it was all of last year, but it still needs to get better. Yeah, and, and, you, and know, you know what? Having... Yeah, and Joan, I don't mean to interrupt you here, but I, I also thought about this because I, I, I was explaining the short yardage as kind of a, a combo platter of blame. You can blame you know, the lack of a running back that can get it done and, and blaming it on the offensive line. 
and you could probably do the same thing in pass protection. They're probably made to look better now because they have somebody that can actually move that is mobile and not a statue back there. So you could probably balance them both, you know, with excuses, I guess, if you wanted to, as far as that situation is concerned. Yeah, not having JT back there, it definitely showed a difference. And that's a, that's the other thing, too, I wanted to uh, – well, before I get to that, I want to say that the secondary was one of my biggest concerns going to, going into this game. I thought they actually played very well as a young group. I mean, never mind the fact that they give up 31 points, but when you have four turnover on downs, a, a fumble, an interception, and uh, a pot return that went half the, half the field, you're going to put your defense – at, at a bad, in a bad position there, but I thought the defense played yeah. well overall, especially the de- defensive line and those young guys in the secondary. But one final thing: I, what kind of coaching do we have? I felt like we had Pagano and Rank, uh, Frank Wright put put together. One thing: I thought they were just too aggressive on fourth downs for for a team that has a very limited playbook and a quarterback that has only played 13 career college games and making his first NFL start. If you would have thought they they had the entire playbook there, and I just felt like they got too cute, like Reichwood all the time on fourth down last year, and not trust your defense to get a three and out or, or get a good field position. And I just I, I'm not giving it up on Steichen, but after week one, but no, I, and, better. and I, I get what you're saying, and, and Jonah, that is incredibly fair. I, I've explained it this way yesterday and it may be have a little combination here of, of both a lame explanation and you know trying to make an excuse and I'm not I just think that Shane Steichen is that type of go for it guy and you can yeah. go for it in that fashion when you're the OC and you've got Jalen Hurts and you know and the outside weapons and an inside threat and and the running backs and all the skill position players they have, you know, you can easily make that decision. I just think that those are the types of decisions you're going to have to have a major adjustment on considering what you don't have here, if that makes sense to you. I I just think that that's how he's – I think that's how he is going to be wired. I just think you're going to have to rewire yourself a little bit considering what you don't have on this roster available. And I'm okay with the go-for-it guy. I like the aggressive nature of a coach, but two things stood out to me. One, on the, the the fourth down where they couldn't even get an inch, I thought on that third down they had the first down, and they didn't. he didn't even take the time to look at it or possibly review it. And second of all, at the fourth quarter, at the very last drive, they just kept letting the time run down and having bad plays, and that's where Anthony Richardson ran and got popped. I just I, I felt like he just went too fast. It was a too fast of a tempo game for a, an offense that is very yeah. green and doesn't have playmakers. Yeah, but, yeah. But I'm encouraged. I'm encouraged by Richardson. I really like what I saw from him, and if just tone down the tempo a little bit, and I, I think this could be not not this season, but I think this could be a good quarterback for our future. Hey, Jonah, are you back yet for good? No, I don't come back to the end of the year. Gotcha. All right, good to hear from you too, man. I'm sure you're going to check in throughout the course of the season. Appreciate you. Absolutely, yep. All right, uh, 239-1070 if you guys want to jump on board. I think Greg Rakestraw's daughter had a a dentist appointment, orthodontist appointment, so we'll move him to whenever uh, we can get Greg in. I do want to hear his thoughts on that question that the IU football fan posed to me a little bit earlier uh this portion of the show brought to you by win schulers win schulers indy's favorite cheese spreads i checked it out at my local kroger today 
it's not it's not in the front with the cheese. It's with all the great cheeses, all the great cheeses, in the Kroger in the Meyer refrigerated cheese department. The official cheese spread of this show, Winshulers, Indy's favorite cheese spreads. Back with you inside the lounge via YouTube Live. Your calls, Brad Spielberger of PFF, Nate Adkins of the Star, and more. Straight at you next. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com. And talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. The Ride with JMV. We have the Holy Hand Grenade. Yes, of course. The Holy Hand Grenade of Antioch. Right. One, two, five. Please, uh, three. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Hey, shout out to Corey Hall. Corey says sometime in 2024 for Pearl Jam. I have yet to hear. Uh, JMV, you've largely been the voice of reason for the Colts organization and the fan base. There are a lot of people that overreact. You hardly ever do. That being said, uh, when can you definitively say Jim Ursay no longer cares about winning as much as PR and uh, relationships? Um... I I just think that that Jim to me it doesn't have anything to do with PR and relationships. It just has everything to do with bad decisions and interjecting yourself in situations in which you shouldn't. You know, not trusting those like a year ago. You know, you're making a decision, you're overriding a ballot decision. And then after six years of a lack of results, uh, then you give him a vote of confidence basically for the next three, a reboot. Those are the things that that don't make any sense. Um, making promises that you can't keep will not make your fan base happy. Those are the things that I see more so than anything else. PR, relationships. I mean, he gets enough... PR and relationships by, you know, giving away stuff and having concerts last weekend, you know, being a part of the Jim Irsay experience or collection. But to me, it's just been a a laundry list of ill-advised decisions. You know, interjecting yourself when you shouldn't. Maybe not interjecting yourself when you should. That's what I come up with this. And and again, there is no doubt he is as accountable as anybody here. Because there have been a lot of promises made and I honestly I can't think of one that has actually come through. So, yes. But it's different I guess than what I hear you saying right here. Uh, JMV ESPN will be okay without Aaron Rodgers content. They can roll with Coach Prime updates the entire football season. Yeah, they probably will too. Hey, JMV, I agree with you, but nobody wants to say anything about Michigan and Georgia playing cupcakes in a non-conference schedule. I'll be honest with you. I just don't – nobody around here wants to hear 
Louisville dude, and this is not Andy in the morning, by the way, because he's officially indie dude now. But I want to hear Louisville dude giving crap to IU. I mean, look in the mirror on the bull crap that's gone on down there and sit down and shut the blank up. That's what I would do. You know, worry about yourself. You know, Italian restaurants and 11-second moments and your team getting flushed down the toilet again, over and over again. You know, your image getting flushed down the toilet over and over again. And I like Louisville. I like Kentucky a hell of a lot better than I do Michigan. If it only had indoor plumbing and teeth, I'd like it a lot better. I love the roads. But I'm just, if I'm Louisville guy, I would consider the circumstances of the past and shit, uh, sit down almost No, I meant to say sit. Sit down and shut up. That's what I would do. With this in mind, no, it was not. I want Todd to come marching in here, sit down and shut up. It was like a combo right there. (laughs) If you're on hold, I'll get back to you coming up in a second. I think Greg's rescheduled for 4.30. He's going to join us. Brad Spielberger, PFF here, coming up in a couple of minutes. You guys on hold. Nate Atkins of the Stars will. We'll follow any moves that the Colts might logically make at running back to get somebody else in here that doesn't fumble twice and drop a pass and get somebody else in. Oh, there he is. There he is. <laughs> I knew it. Inside the lounge via YouTube Live, 93.5107. Find the fan. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. The Ride with JMV. Now you listen here. He's not the Messiah. He's a very naughty boy. Now go away. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Oh, this is a good question right here. JMV, what is the JMV takeover coming up on Saturday night? I think we're doing a 90s weekend. So this Allison Chains and them bones makes a lot of sense. Coming up on Saturday night, 6 until midnight. 90s. You guys love the 90s nights. John Buzzard writes this, excellent Marsh t-shirt today. I spent half of my paycheck every week at their salad bar in Nora when it was still open. I I miss Marsh a great deal. I do. JMV, I think the Colts need Marlon Mack back. He's injured. Good dude, but injured. JMV, Stephen Holder said on your show yesterday that he felt it was Chris Ballard holding things back. The one that is going to stick to the so-called process regarding Jonathan Taylor and not making another offer or sweetening the pot. Haven't you said prior to that it was owner Jim Ursay? And I have, and I still believe that. Let's face it. I mean, we saw last year. If... Jim Irsay felt that Jonathan Taylor was a need that he absolutely wanted right now, just like he did when he sweetened the pot to make sure T.Y. Hilton stayed his last season here. He could do the same right here. 
So I, I respect what Steven said yesterday. That's nothing against what he said and his point he was making regarding Chris Ballard. But we all know Jim Ursay, if he wanted it, he would scratch out the check right now. I would advise this, though, if you got a healthy Jonathan Taylor and you do want it, <laughs> act like you did a year ago with Jeff Saturday and just force that force that thing in there. Try to make something right right now. That's just a thought. But no. While I agree that that is the thought of Chris Ballard, as Stephen Holder mentioned yesterday, uh, the ultimate checkbook signature if he wanted it, would be the owner. I agree with that because I said it. Nate Atkins, 5 o'clock hour, Rake Straw, bottom of the hour from PFF. Brad Spielberger's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. You didn't go to MetLife Stadium last night, did you? Thankfully, I stayed out of the rain and out of the, the depressing scene of MetLife Stadium for the last two nights. No, I, I was not there. You know, it's, it's funny. As a Jets fan, I mean, it, it it had to be great, a little celebration, because obviously Buffalo screwed the pooch like nobody's business in that game last night. But this was almost an experience that was, I don't know if I want to call it enjoyable because somebody got injured, but it was an experience that you really needed to gather, I think, sitting at home with all of your devices, if you know what I mean. Because it was such rapid-fire, nonstop information for this. This is one of those evenings when it was certainly you were better off being at home than you were, I thought, at the stadium. I completely agree. Yeah, sorry to cut you off there. Yeah, no, I'm with you. Where it was almost surreal at first. You're sitting there, and you're, like you said, refreshing your timeline, trying to get any updates. First it was foot, then I saw ankle. Then he goes in the medical tent, goes back to the locker room. Then you get the negative x-ray. Then you get the doctor saying, well, ligaments and, and tendon tears wouldn't show up on an x-ray. Uh, it was. It was like everything was kind of happening in real time. Um, you know, it, it, really, it really was surreal. It's uh, Brad Spielberger of PFF. Uh, there have been a lot of, of both uh, reasonable and lack thereof of answers that people believe. The Jets will go as far as bringing in a veteran quarterback presence. We know Zach Wilson is going to get that call. There's no doubt he is going to be the starter. But who might they end up settling on to bring in to be the backup, at least for now? Yeah, I think you get a lot of the flashy names right out of the gate. A lot of players, teams, a lot of you know guys, players want to trade for, uh, fans want to you know go after and all these things. But I think it's going to be a much more measured approach. And the only free agent name is maybe a Carson Wentz. We know he's out there still working out, trying to get a tryout, a workout somewhere. I would imagine he gets to at least come in the building and talk with the Jets. From a trade standpoint, uh, I think a guy like a Case Keenum in Houston uh, is in a San Francisco offense right now in Houston with that new coaching staff, is the number three quarterback. They have Davis Mills as the backup. I know neither of those names are exciting for Jets fans to hear, but I don't think they're going to make some splashy move. I think you go out, you get a competent player um, because, uh, frankly, I know they've put all their you know confidence behind Zach Wilson, but he just can't play. I mean, you saw it last night, uh, had the interception that was just right in the defender's hands ran backwards 40 yards on two scrambles that could have been, you know, 40-yard lost sacks. He, he just doesn't really know what he's doing out there. Well, and, and you saw they had to be the, the ultimate, you know, screwing yourself type of deal last night that Buffalo had to do for the Jets to get that win. I mean, all, on all fronts, and especially starting with their quarterback, Josh Allen, it, was that a, a serious red flag or was that a moment in a long season in week one red flag last night for the Bills quarterback? 
Honestly, for me, it was a serious one. So, so look, this defense is his kryptonite. You look last year, the Jets held him to six yards per attempt or less in both outings. They held him to a PFF grade below 60 in both outings. He doesn't do either of those things very often, um, and they killed him again last night. But, but my thing why I think it's a glaring red flag is, okay, you're Josh Allen. You know you're playing Zach Wilson for three and a half quarters of football. You know you really need to not do a lot. Just move the ball down the field, waste some time, kick some field goals, and you still have the mentality of trying to hit a home run on every single drop back. He probably took half a dozen massive shots when he was scrambling, refused to go out of bounds. It's like if you're doing that against Kansas City in a playoff game, sure, I love it, I get it, I understand it. Last night it was so, so, so unnecessary, and he's still pressing. And I know he called himself out for the game, but if he couldn't do it last night, I'm not sure he's ever going to. Is that the Dolphins the front runner? You think in that division? And I know again, one week is what we're basing our opinion on here. But would you call them the front runner in that division, considering what has transpired over the first week of the season? You know, I guess you could. I was low on Buffalo coming in, not just Josh Allen. I really don't think their roster is as loaded as it's been in past years. The offensive line got decimated last night, which was not surprising to me at all. Their pass catches outside of Stephon Diggs, I think, are underwhelming. You look at Miami. If Tua Tagovailoa is healthy, yes, their roster is better. Their defense is loaded even without Jalen Ramsey. You have a young edge rusher in Jalen Phillips that I think is going to be a household name by the end of this season. Their offensive line did not have left tackle Teron Armstead, a phenomenal player, did not play, and they still put up 36 points and, and were exceptional. Mike McDaniel might be already a top-five play caller in the NFL. Um, yes, maybe a bit of an overreaction. Buffalo's going to be good, um, but Miami is loaded. What you make of Cleveland and Cincinnati? Was that more about the rain or just more about inexplicably the offense of the Bengals, all, all those high-dollar guys uh, being absolutely useless in this opener? Yeah, I think weather was a big part of it. I mean, Deshaun Watson's stat line wasn't really much better than Joe Burrow's. And I also think we saw last year – Joe Burrow gets the appendix surgery. He had four interceptions and looked awful against the Pittsburgh Steelers in week one. Now you flash forward a year, has the calf injury. His first full practice in about a month was on Thursday. Then he comes in this game. And the Browns pass rush unit, you saw the additions. Darius Smith had five pressures. Obawaka Runflo, a new signing, had a sack. Shelby Harris had a tackle for loss on the interior. That is a loaded roster. But I think Cincinnati's going to figure it out just like last year. You know, slow start, but they'll bounce back. Brad Spielberger, PFF, talking NFL. Week one thoughts here on the Andy Moore Automotive Crew Potline. So the Ravens win and win in fine fashion, yet lose their running back, J.K. Dobbins, for the season. I know John Harbaugh had mentioned yesterday that, you know, they're not going to fill that gap with anybody open market wise or try to trade for anybody right now. Do you think they will hold strong to what he said yesterday? or will they have a change of heart? No, I do not. Um, you know, Gus Edwards also has dealt with injuries the last couple of years, just like J.K. Dobbins, and looked really uh, non-explosive in that game. He did see Justice Hill, another backup for them, have a couple scores. They have a young guy named Keaton Mitchell they like a lot, who is also hurt right now. And, and Melvin Gordon just is not an explosive player anymore. So, he wasn't great last year, wasn't efficient, but if I'm Baltimore, I give a phone call to Leonard Fournette. Look, he can catch the ball. He had 73 receptions last year. 
He's a solid option. I think in that offense with Lamar Jackson, it would open up running lanes for him that did not exist last year with Tom Brady in Tampa. Um, I'm sure they'll try to weather the storm, but I think they have to add a body at some point. All right. With, with Pittsburgh, you talk about a mess. It was an absolute mess at home, and they lost to the 49ers. And now we hear Deontay Johnson's going to miss some time. Uh, Casey Hayward's going to be out for a while. We hear that as well. And uh, it was not a fantastic debut for quarterback Kenny Pickett. Uh, in Pittsburgh on Sunday, where is this team? It seems like Mike Tomlin always comes up with answers regardless here, but there does seem like there are a lot of questions going into week number two for a team that looked really bad Sunday. Yeah, I mean, I think you could argue they lost, you know, their most important offensive player in Deontay Johnson for a while. You know, the hamstring, I think, could be at least four weeks, if not longer. And then Cam Hayward, probably only behind T.J. Watt, the second most important defensive player for them. I did like, really like what I saw from rookie Keanu Benton, the second-round pick on the interior. So he's going to have to step up and play a pretty big role in Cam Hayward's shoes right away. But the story for them is they overhauled that offensive line. You bring in Isaac Somalo at left guard. You have... You know, tackles that are supposed to get better this year, and they got dominated by San Francisco. And now the Cleveland Browns defensive line I just talked about up next in the schedule. If they play like that, they're going to get killed again. I, the, the, the Cam Hayward is is interesting to me because I, how long is that going to end up being? He will ultimately so, come back, right? He will come back, but it said they said at least eight weeks. So we're Man. talking kind of like T.J. Watt last year, yeah. week thirteen, you know, something like that. That's a, a long time. Brad Spielberger of PFF. He joins us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. What, what did you make of the debut of Anthony Richardson here in that Colts loss to the Jags Sunday? I thought he looked really good. Look, you're going to have the rookie mistakes. You saw plenty of mistakes from C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young as well. Uh, but Richardson, you know, a couple errant throws and a couple missed opportunities where he probably could have uncorked it sooner. But you saw, yes, he did take a handful of sacks, but I, I think that is going to go away. Yeah, I think you saw confidence. I think you saw an offense devised by Shane Steichen that made a lot of sense. After there was a lot of pressure early, they started getting the ball to Josh Downs, letting him create after the catch, as opposed to, you know, try to go downfield to Alec Pierce and, and doing more things to just get the ball out of his hands quickly to Pittman and to Josh Downs. I, I was encouraged by the performance. I think he's going to continue to get better and stack performances. I'm optimistic. I. Outside looking in, I mean, obviously we're here, and I know that you probably know my feeling on what I believe is a a desperate need for Jonathan Taylor to be a part of this because of these skill position players and where they aren't are with this team, or where they're not, I should say, where they're not right now. But what do you make of it? Do they desperately need Taylor to come back, or with what they have makeshift-wise moving forward, is it okay considering this is a rebuild to you? I mean, it obviously is going to be a huge benefit to this offense. You see another injury to Evan Holt, who obviously wasn't going to have a huge role, but a good pass catching back, a good pass blocker, um, and a fun player. Had a couple nice plays and then unfortunately goes down. I do think getting Zach Moss back will be huge. He was actually pretty efficient to close out last year running the football, but he's not dynamic like a Jonathan Taylor. You're not going to throw him the ball. He's not going to break off explosive 50, 60-yard games with regularity. You can't weaponize him in his own read type of situation with an Anthony Richardson to the same degree you could Taylor. Yeah, it's not a disaster because they're not going to win many games regardless. But but if you want to see growth and see this offense play better, you can't have Deion Jackson with carries for 14 yards 
uh, that's obviously not going to get it done. Well, you no doubt about that. Uh, again, it's Brad Spielberger of PFF with us. So the Texans didn't look good on Sunday at all. That's next up on the road for the Colts on Sunday down in Houston. Was the ineffectiveness in that first start for C.J. Stroud more about his youth and inexperience or more about just an absolute dismantled-looking offensive line in Houston? I think it was the offensive line. I actually was pretty encouraged by him as well. I had a couple nice throws. Yeah, we're talking about a different center, different left guard, and different right tackle than he was supposed to start the season with. And they poured resources, you know, trade for right guard Shaq Mason, sign him to an extension, sign both tackles to extensions. Obviously, he's a first-round pick last year on Kenyon Green, the left guard. He's a second-round pick on Juice Scruggs, the center this year. Um, and, and a bunch of those guys do not play. So I think they'll get better. They'll figure it out. But, hey, I love DeForest Buckner and Grover Stewart and Quiddy Pay, et cetera, et cetera. I, I love that matchup for them in week two. Yeah, I, it's an opportunity. I mean, again, I look at the Colts on Sunday – Brad and and they were there it's just it was like similar set of circumstances that we've seen with a different regime different quarterback you know some different players certainly a different coach and it was a falling apart in the fourth quarter it was an inability to close you would expect that offensively with the inexperience of Richardson but to me what was problematic and even being put in bad situations and being on the field too much, that defense has to step up. You can't give up 14 regardless of the situation in the fourth as they did. And that's unfortunate because for most of the rest of the game, the defense looked pretty good. Yeah, you know, I think unfortunately when it comes down to the wire and teams need to throw the football against them, they're going to be able to. I mean, this is one of the most inexperienced secondaries in the entire NFL. Uh, so early on, you know, when team when the Jaguars were – I mean, look, Calvin Ridley was running wild the entire time. But, but yeah, I mean, that was a great offense, a great quarterback, a great group of receivers, you know, some of the best in the NFL – but it is going to be a concern where when you know teams need to throw, if you're not getting pressure with your front seven, which they should, um, those teams are going to complete those passes. Less snaps for Derrick Henry in that opener and that loss for the Titans in New Orleans. Is that good or bad for Tennessee and their offense moving forward? And I guess even the better question is, is that going to be the norm? Yeah, I mean, he's been, you know, in an outlier level situation with his touches the last couple of years. It's different than every other back in the NFL. But we did see he had the foot issue where, you know, he had the plate in his in his, uh, his shoe for a while for a couple of games. It was inefficient last year or two years ago, whenever that was. And I think Ty J. Spears is a dynamic player, is a good pass catcher, can make guys miss an open space, had a couple nice missed tackles forced. Um, I think they should keep that up. But Rabel did say post game, you know, it was kind of because of game script and certain things. I don't know, they were never down more than a touchdown the entire time. So I think that is going to be the norm, and I think it is a good thing for the long run. All right, Packers, what would you think of their win in Soldier Field over the Bears? And I guess to counter that as well, how about the Bears and the way that they were dismantled, especially in the second half of that game? Yeah, I mean, this is a perfect encapsulation of we can talk about, you know, pass catchers and corners and all the fancy, you know, fun players on the outside. But football, even in 2023, is still won and lost in the trenches. And this was an absolute massacre on both sides of the football by the Green Bay Packers. Uh, they have 35 pressures per hour charting, second only to the Dallas Cowboys in week one. And they allowed five pressures, the lowest in the NFL by a decent margin. So, you know, it, it was just it, when that happens, I don't care how good the rest of your players are. You're not doing many games. So for the Chicago side, look, Justin Fields, he does have the excuse of the offensive line. It's not good. But you watch the film from that game. They had a couple of receivers open on even simple concepts like mesh and, 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 and you know, back shoulder digs and simple things he probably could have hit. 
and just doesn't uncork it. He, he still does not seem to see the field all that well. All right, the Lions all fit 1-0, too, with that opening night win on Thursday in Kansas City. Yesterday, we learned Chris Jones signed a one-year deal, so his holdout is over. Can you view it, Brad, as it being worth it for Chris Jones in holding out and now getting in and back with his team with that one-year deal? Not in any way, shape, or form. I mean, this was malpractice, frankly, by his representation. I feel very, very bad for the player. Uh, you look at the details there. Yeah, he probably will make back the fines he forfeited via the incentives. Uh, I think $2 million of the incentives are just tied to playing 50% of snaps, which he should do. But, you know, Aaron Rodgers also played four snaps in the season yesterday. So nothing is given. And then the incentives tied to sacks. I know he's Chris Jones, but... 10 sacks, 15 sacks is a very, very high number for an interior defender. Uh, no, I, I don't want to go too far and say something inflammatory, but I hope his deal in the offseason is, is negotiated by somebody else uh, next year. <laughs> it's a Brad Spielberger of PFF. With us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. So the Colts are going to get the Rams coming up in a couple of weeks, and I, I thought that that was going to be a doable home date for them and I also thought a lot more about Seattle going into that week number one. You know, what happened in Seattle with the Rams in that matchup? Because the Rams, I thought, came out of that, came away with that looking impressive. By far the biggest surprise result of week one for me. I was so, so high in Seattle coming in, not only for the season, but also this game in particular. In my opinion, it was more a failure of the defense. Uh, they had no pressure all day long. They go out and sign Draymond Jones to a $17 million per year deal. He had, a, he had zero pressures on the day. Uh, you know, they, they change up the entire defensive line against a completely patchwork Rams offensive line and allow Matthew Stafford to go 10 of 18 on throws 10-plus yards downfield. There's no Cooper Cup out there. Okay, six-round rookie Puka Nakua is going to come in and have 10 catches for 120 yards. It, it was a pathetic showing from Seattle. I, I was shocked by it. Yeah, it might have been. You might be right about that. I mean, the the biggest surprise of the opening weekend. I just, uh, I didn't expect that what whatsoever. What are you writing about, Brad? Moving forward here. Yeah, so uh, I put out something today covering all the injuries in Week One and potential replacements. Should the team look outside the building or maybe uh, just find a you know an in-house replacement? And then I'm going to start a weekly article going forward that's already looking forward to the off season. You know, looking at what are the weakest units per roster, and then Uh-oh. name a draft. <laughs> yeah, and then name a draft prospect and a free agent signing they could make going into the next off season. Kind of just keeping track of how these rosters look going forward. All right, I want your thoughts on this before I let you go. Because the Colts are going to need to sign, I believe, a veteran running back here this week. And you mentioned Evan Hull. Um, I know that uh, you know Zach Moss could be coming back, but I, I feel that they have that need there. Deion Jackson was an absolute mess. Um, if they're going to go that direction, would they not just bring back a guy like Kenyon Drake that they cut that was involved in the system, you know, during training camp and such, kind of make it easy this week and bring him back? If they were going to look for a veteran presence like that, would you think it would be him? I think so, but you know, you also bring in veteran free agents like Kareem Hunt for a reason, right? And the report was Indianapolis called him while he was in New Orleans and offered him more money to play for them than for the Saints. Maybe Hunt still wants more money and wants a better offer from some other team. But, you know, I, I just – Kenyon Drake, I think at this point, isn't going to give you a whole lot. Yes, he knows the system, so maybe you know, this week it would help. But but if you want to actually make a meaningful difference, I think you got to give up you know, Kareem Hunt another call. Yeah, I don't know if they do, though. <laughs> I don't know. Not, not yeah. so much giving him a call, but I, I don't know if they really care too much about having a – what we would like to call a meaningful difference, if that makes sense. 
Just think I'm they just kind of go what they have on because because you could have done that. I mean, it's not like you know this lack of skill position players that can make a difference. It's not like this is new. I mean, this is something at running back that we have seen for a while. It's been a month. They wrote that regarding Jonathan Taylor, and you still look at the lack of difference makers they have in pass catching and running the football. Yeah, this is not altogether new. This has been hanging over this team's head for a while. Yeah, no, I hear you. Like you said, it's, they're not like tanking or anything, but they're not going to you know, spend extra money and make a bunch of extra moves to maybe, you know, marginally increase the actual chances of winning football games. Why not let young players get reps, get experience, get better for when the games truly matter, you know, in 2024 and beyond. Is that a detriment, though, to the growth of Anthony Richardson? I don't think so, because I do think the pass catching group is, is solid, and I think the offensive line obviously played better this week. I think you want to see more and more from Bernard Raymond, but you know we knew coming in he was a raw prospect, a great athlete, but not, not a football player for all that long. You know I don't think so. I think Shane Steichen, you have to defer and trust him. Coach the rookie Justin Herbert, coach the you know, sophomore and junior Jalen Hurts, I think he knows what he's doing. Hey, Brad, always a pleasure, man. Every Tuesday, Brad Spielberger, a pro football focus with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Enjoy the week. We'll do it again next Tuesday. You too. Sounds good. Nate Atkins of the Star coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. Greg Rakestraw is going to join us coming up on the other side. Week 5 already of the high school football season. Our Car X Game of the Week and Brendan King's got the call of Warren Central and Ben Davis coming up right here on Friday night. I've got two road shows Thursday and Friday. Larcity Bourbon Locks, Luna Azul Tequila Shots on Thursday. Great, actually two great spots. Thursday and Friday with a Bud Light Blue Friday. I'll explain where you can join me, where you can win stuff and have some fun as well later on this week. All right, we'll come back. Greg Rakestraw, you at 239-1070 on the other side, 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. The Ride with JMV. Just an average guy with exceptional hair. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. There's Brad Spielberger of Pro Football Focus a little bit earlier. If you won Chappelle tickets last week, remember that show is tomorrow night, right? James, Chappelle, Gamebridge Field House tomorrow night. Be prepared to laugh. Have a great time coming up tomorrow night. Uh, Michael Lombardi was on the show yesterday really good and he had me from his Rick Rubin quote to start the interview. But now, if you missed any of that yesterday, podcast 107.5thefan.com. Nate Atkins of the Star coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. Week 5 of the high school season almost upon us. He'll be a part of that. Of course, collegiately and more. And Greg Rakestraw, the fifth quarter huddle host on the Colts Radio Network, is with us now via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. What was altogether the tone of the show after that loss on Sunday? Mostly positive because, frankly, I think the bar is a little bit low. Uh, I think most people's gauge of this season is going to be how Anthony Richardson looks and kind of how I've described it throughout most of the preseason. 
some good, some bad, not overwhelmed in the slightest. So you had some folks that are upset at Chris Ballard. Some folks are upset at Jonathan Taylor. Some folks that are upset with, you know, Shane Steichen's decision-making, a.k.a. fourth down calls or not taking three when you could have made it a seven-point game late in the game. But, again, I think, as you well know, everything about 2023 is going to be, does Anthony Richardson look like a guy that could be the quarterback of this team for the next five to 10 to 15 years? And um, nothing on Sunday tells us that he won't be. Let's put it that way. Does the uh, the lack of, of skill position players, certainly, and especially with a running back group that averaged a yard and a half per carry last weekend. And it is one thing. It's not like that um, there's a great level of talent there, but does this help or hinder Anthony Richardson and his growth offensively on this team? Oh, it hinders it. I mean, he, he needs more hope. Now, do, do I think it means that, uh, you know, he can't continue to develop? No, I mean, I think he can still be, become a, a very good quarterback in the National Football League, but any quarterback will tell you he is as good as his weapons are. And this group still needs help at wide receiver. Clearly this group is missing not only its best running back, but its two best running backs uh, because of Zach Moss. And hopefully he will be able to play coming up Sunday in Houston. Let's also acknowledge that the Colts are not going to face a defense that is nearly as good in the Houston Texans as the one they played in terms of the Jacksonville Jaguars on Sunday. So would Anthony Richardson be helped by having perhaps more help at wide receiver? Of course he would be. Would Anthony Richardson be helped by Jonathan Taylor being available? Yes, he would be. And let's hope at least on the latter that, that that improves as of October the 8th. I want to switch gears to high school quickly with you as well. I mentioned week five is coming up on Friday, and our high school football game of the week brought to you by CarX in your 14 central Indiana locations. Brendan King's on the call of Warren Central and Ben Davis. I just saw the final score, but what did Ben Davis look like against IMG Academy last Friday night? Well, I was there on the call, uh, and, and they hung with them. Um, 20 points is probably a fair margin of victory because of a couple of plays going a different direction then IMG wins by five touchdowns and if a couple of plays going in a different direction then Ben Davis is is within a touchdown of IMG uh, the best way to put it is this it's 21 to 7 late in the first half and Ben Davis could not clock the ball in time could not get out of bounds their drive ends at the one yard line so let's say that's you know a field goal or a touchdown. Ben Davis gets the ball back to start the third quarter. They drive the ball down the field, and there's a young man, last name is Price, um, that, that is a defensive end for IMG that is going to play at the University of Oklahoma. He wears number 90, and, man, he channeled Steve Entman. He got up and, and read a screen or read a, a slant, jumped up, snared it with two hands, and he proceeded to run down the field. In fact, ran across the field and took it 95 yards for a touchdown. What was a 21-7 to game became a 27 or 28-7 to game at that point. Um, and so IMG was the better team, but that game was never in threat of being a running clock game. And Ben Davis legitimately moved the ball, not always and consistently, but picked up yardage. And Ben Davis legitimately shut down the running game of a team that has an offensive line of no player smaller than 280 pounds. So I thought Ben Davis gave a great account of themselves on Friday night, didn't seriously threaten to win late, 
but didn't get run off the field either. And there is something to be said about that when you're playing a team that picks their players from an entire nation, let alone from one township on the west side of Indianapolis. So Greg Gregstrom with us. Do we have any cathedral hard feelings about how that game went down and split between a Friday night and a Saturday morning and then ultimately Chittard coming back and winning? No, I mean, it's a, that just kind of happens, and that's also kind of the – the issue that Cathedral is in, you know, they, they have made Arlington their home field. They have invested in trying to make that field as, as, as nice as possible, but it's still grass and it's, it's not artificial turf. Um, it, it, they're not the ones that are in charge of making sure that the lights work. I mean, it's just kind of the, 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 the issue they've had in terms of trying to find a field that could be their own. So, Do they not have you know, room for one over there? What, what's, why don't they, they have got one? A field, they've got a field. There's no parking. There is no way on God's green earth you could park enough people on, on the hilltop. So they have a field. So they're JV and freshmen play there, and, and they practice there every day. There's no way at that facility to have enough room to park everybody. I would think so they'd have enough money if they wanted to like knock down like Lincoln Square Pancake Place over there off of uh, 56th Street or something and just like, uh, have uh, a, a, a bus back and forth of taking people. They could probably do that. Am I wrong? They don't have that much money? Probably the biggest open piece of land would be where the uh, where our former employer's towers sit <laughs> at 6161. If they would want to take those down and, and yeah. put a stadium in a floodplain, you could probably play there if you would like to. Yeah, you couldn't play when it rains because you're right. Then everything would, right. would flood yeah. out. So I, I guess what I would ask, what, what, what was the, from what you had heard, was the, such the difference between Friday night and then Saturday morning with the way Chittard came back and won? Well, I am told that Chittard had a player that wasn't cleared to play on Friday that played on Saturday. <laughs> it made a big difference on Saturday. So. Yes, I love it. I'm sorry. So, 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 yeah. so, 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 there, so, so there is that. Um, <laughs> and obviously, it's, I think it's an advantage for the team that is yeah. trailing whenever you have to come back the next day. Um, and, and so it, it was a myriad of factors. You know, if, if those teams were to play seven times, maybe Chittard wins one or two. And it's also fair to say that Cathedral is maybe a little bit down and Chittard is really good. That should not take away from Chittard at all beating Cathedral because going in, I thought it would be a one-score game, and that's what it was. I, I, I told Kevin Bowen on Friday morning, I thought Cathedral would win by four or so, and they were in line to do that until, like, the final score of the game. So um, Cathedral has, has Danny O'Neill, great player, but they did lose some – they lost a great kind of senior class in general two years ago and some great individual pieces last year. So the, the, I think they knew they would be a little bit down coming into the season, while Chittard is obviously the favorite in 3A. I can see at Chittard right now, all right, we can play on Saturday morning, and there's this guy, we got the 28 available, there's this guy with last name of Taylor, and he's not playing. He's healthy enough to play right now, but he can't. He's on the PUP. Let's suit him up and then play him on Saturday morning against Cathedral. That is that how that went down? I would assume that Pat Sullivan's wealth is what allowed <laughs> yes. Chittard to meet his contractual demands when Jim Irsay could not, would be my guess. Yeah, no doubt. It's, I mean, it's only a couple of sloth-ass away from really you know, bumping up, so we know that. I also believe be that, that, that this unnamed player or last-name player without a first-name, Taylor, that showed up for Chittard on Saturday morning was probably promised a lifetime supply of big green eggs. Also, it's probably yeah. part of the package as well. Yeah, no question about that. So, it's Greg Rakesaraw with us. Um. 
I'm going to ask you this. Somebody had mentioned to me what a dude, and not our former dude from Louisville here and Andy Sweeney, but a different dude had said regarding IU dropping Louisville and then bringing in certainly a lesser opponent to presumably get themselves a win in 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 this, and I forget who this dude was. You know, went off and IU soft, and you know it, it's it's low hanging fruit. I mean, it's an easy target for IU football, whatever. And if I'm at Louisville, you know, I'd kind of look in the mirror at the mess that the program crap has been down there, and and just stay shut up. But you know, obviously, you can't for content's sake. What do you think about IU deciding to do this, dropping Louisville next year, and then uh, obviously downgrading their schedule in terms of trying to get a win and Tom Allen trying to get a win. I understand the Louisville perspective, calling them soft, and I can't, and, and, and again, I get it, and I'm not sure I would disagree with it. I also acknowledge where IU football is at. And let's, let's literally say this, there's four new teams joining the Big Ten next year. Is IU as good as any of those four programs? No. So, in theory, your conference schedule just got tougher. You know, we can talk about, hey, it's nice that you're no longer guaranteed to see Ohio State and Michigan and Penn State every year. Not like USC, Washington, Oregon, and UCLA are, 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 are you know, back of the pack. UCLA has been a little bit down, but with Chip Kelly, they seem to be kind of heading in the right direction. Obviously, Washington, the former IU quarterback, as good as they have been, you know, maybe in, in a generation. Um, and Oregon and USC only going to explain what recent history has been like for those guys. So, frankly, I get it. You may not like it, and I hate the fact that Indiana's not going to play Louisville. I hate the fact that Indiana doesn't play Kentucky. It hasn't played them in 20 years. But part of the reason why Indiana's not playing Kentucky is, is just as much as Kentucky doesn't want it either because they're playing U of L every year. They're like, listen, we already got nine tough games in the SEC. We've got a rivalry game. We don't need a second. So I credit Louisville for wanting to play Indiana and Kentucky in, in the same year. Um, but I, I understand why Indiana doesn't. I, frankly, Indiana's, Indiana's football program right now is at a place where their, their non-conference season needs to be the World Wide Web. I think you can translate that. W, W, W. And Louisville is pretty far from a guaranteed W. It's a possible W, but they need guaranteed dubs if you're IU. That's just the status of where their football program is. So with that in mind, how's this matchup look coming up on Saturday at noon? I think it's the great unknown, but obviously, you know, for Jeff Brom, you got to feel he's got a pretty good handle on how to scout Indiana um, just because of having played them every year for the last several years. So I'm not sure if Jeff truly knows what he has in terms of his U of L team, but this will be the opponent he is most familiar with on on the schedule this season. Um, you know, I don't know if U of L plays Syracuse, knowing that Purdue played them last year. Uh, whatever the case may be, so I would probably lean towards Louisville, but I think it's a one-score game because I'm, I'm not sure that either program is is any great shakes right now. To be honest with you, you make that decision, by the way, to to drop Louisville is is that a winning decision in the long run? I mean, you're you're going to win in the short term, but is that a winning decision in the long term to you? The Big Ten is at a point where, and again, knowing you're also not guaranteed to see Rutgers in Maryland every year, maybe you say you balance that out by getting Illinois and Northwestern. Um, again, I, I, I get it. You're playing nine guaranteed power five, power four, we're going to phrase it games, um, and you're adding a lot of top-end talent to your league. I, I Again, I understand why Indiana is doing it. I hope 
that they can get to a point a handful of years from now that they say, you know what, let's go and schedule another, you know, SEC, ACC level team in our three non-conference games. But right now, it needs to be an FCS game. It needs to be a MAC game, and it needs to be a, a Conference USA game because you're trying to stack wins. Because right now, the barometer for Indiana football is can you get to six wins and get to a bowl? And it's frankly easier to do that when you're not playing an ACC team in the non conference schedule. So, if you're Purdue, you started out strong, then weather right. intervened, and then you had to wait for the better part of six plus hours to get back on the field in Blacksburg, and then you come away with a 24 17 road win at Va Tech. How impressed were you with that effort? I was very impressed. And, and, and again, there's obviously, you know, overcoming the, the weather elements. You could say that it frankly made it a bit of an, of an lesser of a home field advantage for Virginia Tech, you know, having that long of a delay. But I think it was just, you know, it kind of felt like Purdue's backs were to the wall, you know, for this season already. Um, you, know, you know, losing to Fresno State, who's a, who's a good team. But anytime you're a Big Ten team again against a non-Power 5 school and you're giving that uh, team a check to come play you, you should win that game, and Purdue didn't. So the fact that they were able you know, to overcome circumstances, not over to Tech isn't what it wasn't against Frank Beamer, still an ACC team. And Purdue got a road win against an ACC team. And you throw in that five-and-a-half-hour delay, I thought that was a season-changing win for Purdue. And, again, because their schedule is much tougher this year, it doesn't guarantee them a bowl slot, which is, again, I think like we'd say about IU. I think six wins is the line of demarcation for success for Ryan Walters in his first season in West Lafayette. Is that guaranteed to happen because they beat Votech? No. It's a lot easier to get there because you got that victory on Saturday. Hey, clearly, Sam Hartman has been a difference maker in the first couple of weeks of the season for Notre Dame under center. Is is this got legs? Is this a long-lasting type of thing? Can he be that for this team the entirety of the season? He's been that way for the last couple, three years of Wake Forest. And again, has, has Wake Forest been at the level of which Notre Dame is ranked right, right now? No. Uh, but he's experienced. He's talented. Uh, and because of playing at places like Clemson and Florida State, I don't think there's venues that are going to rattle him in terms of you know, the remaining schedule uh, for Notre Dame. So I, even though the, the, the competition picks up, um, oh, you know, from what they saw in weeks one and two in terms of Navy and Tennessee State, I do think Notre Dame can replicate this. I, I'm not sure if they're a college football playoff team. I do think they're a top ten team that's in the CFP conversation. Let's put it that way. How's our guy Jack Kaiser doing up there? Uh, forgive me, I, I I couldn't tell you off the top of my head just because I, I made it a point to watch as much Purdue as I could this Understand. week. I didn't have a chance to see the Irish, but. Uh, um, that kid's going to be successful in life regardless of what happens. I always thought as part of that class that he was in 2018 that we had three Sunday players. David Bell and George Karloftis are already there. I'm not sure if that's in the cards at this point for Jack, but I hope he gets the opportunity. But he's a, he's, he's a bright young man. He's going to be successful whether he ends up in the National Football League or not. Well, we're always going to have that connection with Pioneer and Eastern Green. In a state title game, and him beating the absolute crap out of my fellas. We're always going to have that relationship. But but who who got the first touchdown in that game, John? Who scored first? Yeah, it was uh, Caleb Hamilton, right? 
I would. I was just going to say Eastern Green. So yes. Oh, I'm sorry. Whenever, whenever, whenever that comes up, you just, <laughs> I'm sure you took a picture of the scoreboard, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Show that. Show that seven nothing on the scoreboard, and then just erase the rest of that game from your memory. I think I did that for a variety of my games when I was at Eastern. So a lot of them. Too. Well, they were undefeated in football when you were in their school, John. That yeah. much I know. Hey, where are you Friday? So Friday night, I have Carmel and Lawrence North, and so LN is is one of. The, I wouldn't even say pleasant surprises, but they're 4-0, uh, and they have a freshman running back that is catching people's attention. Carmel maybe is a little bit down this year. They are 2-2, two and two, got thumped by Trinity uh, on Friday night. Uh, and these schools obviously have maintained their rivalry, even though they are no longer conference foes. So I think this is going to be a good one. But I am looking forward to seeing this LN team and see if they can make it to 5-0. and Well done as always, Greg. 90s on the Jamby Takeover Saturday night, so be prepared. I have. Uh, I will not spoil this um, for for the listening audience, but I will talk to you about this when I'm sure we will see each other in the studio at some yeah. point over the next couple of days. I have both a random yet well known '90s request Love it. lined up for you for Saturday. So I'm not sure you would have this in the B1057 hard drives mm. that will give you advance warning. But I want yeah. you to think about who would qualify as both random yet well known. That's be my request on Friday. Can I make a guess? Night. Make a guess, please. How please. about um, Trippin' Daisy? I got a girl. No. So, uh, so, so that, that's random. Yeah. But, but again, how about the the butthole surfers? Is, the butthole surfers, you, Pepper. Yeah, it, it, no, no, it's not them either. <laughs> uh, a great tune. I used to spin that at X one hundred three myself. It's not. The, it, I'll give you this. Yes more of the hip-hop variety, oh, which is not surprising. No gotcha. All right. Well, I'll wait on that and be ready. 90s uh, coming up on Saturday, buddy. I, I will be in the building tomorrow, so if you're uh, if you're not on location tomorrow, I will tell you tomorrow afternoon. You got it, man. Appreciate you. See you, pal. It's uh, Greg Rakestraw on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Quick break. We'll come back. Nate Atkins, top of the hour. You and me coming up next. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. The Ride with JMV. Here's Johnny! David Letterman! Hi, David. I'm Grandpa. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Drake Straw and Brad Spielberger. Podcast 107.5thefan.com. Joe writes this. JMV, if the Colts were trading Minshew to the Jets, why not ask for one of their DBs? Screw draft selections. Ballard doesn't know what to do with picks anyway. (laughs) Yeah, I don't even look at that. It it seems like that there's probably going to be a bunch more options before you get to that point. It's funny, too. I mean, I'm sure the Jets probably feel like, hey, it's New York, major metropolitan, the major metropolitan uh, expectations, and we can't go with this dude here. We barely got through it last night. And really, I mean, Buffalo had to basically completely and utterly screw themselves for the Jets to get that win. So there's no way you can move forward with Zach Wilson. I would think it would have to be somebody 
that would be deemed more substantial, more worthy than even that. Nothing against Gardner Minshew. But more substantial than that, you would suggest. A Thursday and Friday on the road. I'll tell you when and where coming up in a bit. Via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline, he covers for the star, the Colts, and uh, has had a lot to write about, certainly. Hopefully there's a little bit more in terms of the running back department. I'm not quite so sure, but Nate Atkins joins us. A veteran presence at that position? Are we expecting that coming up in the not-so-distant future, you think? I've been expecting them to sign somebody. I mean, you're at a point where, you know, it was interesting enough last week, I don't know if they were counting on having Zach Moss because late in the week they decided to downgrade him to, you know, out for the game. They didn't make that ruling until Saturday. And then, of course, you know, they lose Evan Holt to, we don't know the severity yet, but it it definitely sounds like he's not going to be available this week. And, of course, we saw what it was like with Deion Jackson in the lead role there. You know, and other than that, there's Jake Funk. So uh, maybe Zach Moss is back this week. I do think if Zach Moss were to play, you'd see a lot more sort of uh, that, that veteran aspect to it. It's a guy who knows where to run, how to run. The thing is, he's not explosive. He ran like a four six five forty, but he can do everything other than that as far as catch the ball, pass protect, uh, run with good vision, uh, you know, hit the hole hard not fumble as much as, you know, I guess as we saw on Sunday, He's although he has had some fumble issues earlier in his career. But, I mean, that's still just one guy, and it's, there's no telling that, you know, what if he gets hurt on the first snap of a game and then you're right back in this spot. So I've been expecting them to do something. I'm not quite sure what direction they'll go because they've, you know, they've made an offer to Kareem Hunt, but I, I just get the sense that Kareem Hunt is waiting, probably looking for something a little bit more, long-term role for him because we're in a situation here where Zach Moss could come back and be the starter. And then in three weeks, maybe Jonathan Taylor's back. So it's kind of a weird spot to go after a guy like Kareem Hunt, who still seems to view himself as a, either a, you know, a starting back or maybe a one, a one B type type of a back. And I'm not quite sure what direction they'll go, but they need a veteran. Nate, is it reasonable to suggest that they they don't, and I'm not going to suggest that I panic or you panic, but they don't view this as um, as as oh my goodness type of situation as maybe you and I and the fans do right now? Uh, I think that's fair to say. I do think, though, that I, I felt going into week one that they sort of had this chip on their shoulder about, proving that they could run the ball in a way that didn't need Jonathan Taylor as much in a way that, you know, could, could balance Anthony Richardson with the backs they have heard a lot about running back by committee. Uh, you know, you know, they, they had options. They had chances to go out and sign somebody. Zach Moss got hurt camp. We know they tried with Kareem Hunt, but it did seem they got to a point where they thought, you know what, with our new run scheme, we're installing, with an offensive line that currently is healthy and with Shane Steichen's system and with Anthony Richardson, we're going to go out there and show that, you know, maybe we aren't explosive like we could be with Jonathan Taylor, but we can get the job done. And it just seemed like a shell shock group at the fact that they didn't do that really in any way. Uh, you know, the running backs on Sunday had 16 carries for 25 yards and two lost fumbles. So it was about as bad as it could possibly go. I know what they're probably surely thinking is that, hey, it's, it's just one game. 
especially one game for an offensive line that is learning a new blocking scheme. That is naturally going to take a little bit of time. But at some point, you got to have backs that you can really trust in big moments. And I just think that was a hard look for Deion Jackson, who doesn't have track record to really combat it, you know, to, to have moments like the, the fourth down run, the two fumbles, and um, and just not just not hitting the holes that were there. And uh, so, I don't know. I, I, again, I think if Zach Moss is back, that may change things because I do know they thought fairly highly of his ability to step in and do some of that. So, I think it may very much depend on if we see him out there at practice tomorrow. If, if they felt a little bit better about the situation moving forward at running back, would Deion Jackson still be on this team after that performance Sunday? Uh I mean, it was, it was a tough performance for sure. And if they had Zach Moss and Jonathan Taylor healthy and Evan Hull healthy, I think that would be definitely something they have to think about. But right now, none of those guys are healthy. So it's a little different situation. Deion Jackson, like the thing I've, I've been trying to say with him is he came in, he caught their eye initially as an undrafted free agent who could play special teams. And then they kind of tapped in and they saw his receiving background as a guy who didn't become a running back until his senior year of high school, and he flashed that way last year. And if they could create that role specifically for him, I think he would be what they thought he was. But I think so far what he's showing is he's not just magically transformed himself into something a lot more than that right now. And, uh, you know, it's interesting they drafted Evan Hull, I guess, in some ways of a redundancy to those third-down skills, uh, but, you know, but, but less of the special teams side of it. So... I do think the team side is going to help Dion out, especially since that seems like an area where uh, they need a little bit of work too. But certainly I think if there were any uh, you know, illusions about him kind of being ready to be a, a big-time runner uh, for this team right now, I think, uh, I think Sunday was a bit of a, you know, a hit to the pride. So Nate Atkins of the Star with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I mentioned this a little bit earlier too. Kenyon Drake, maybe. I mean, in a pinch, bring somebody back that had been here for more than just a little bit. I mean, is is that you think a viable option here moving forward, or might we be looking at somebody else? I think there's a decent chance of that because of the familiarity. You know, that's if if Kareem Hunt's still in the same spot of just not wanting to take the offer and come to this situation they may not be getting a back that necessarily is what you would think of as a you know number one guy more of a fill-in uh Kenyon drake is it's interesting because i i cut kind of signing when they made it based on how many times he's stepped in with mobile quarterbacks and delivered more than four years of carry we just didn't see that at all in the preseason and training camp something just felt off if he i don't know if he had he'd gotten out of shape he said that was not the case I don't know if it's it's signs of aging or if it – I don't know if it was just a small sample and it, it looked that way. But it did not look like a guy that I thought would have made a difference on Sunday. Uh, but I don't know. Maybe there's maybe there's a little bit more in the tank than we saw. Hey, you know what, Nate? When I think about skill position players, and in this case, you know, trying to fill that void at running back and, you know, talk about – you know, us thinking that it is top priority, you got to do it right now, and then maybe the Colts not feeling the same way. Now, part of my reasoning for that is they've known for such a long time 
what they've had. I mean, they've known about the running back situation for the better part of a month. have chosen not to do anything about it. Uh, they've known about the skill position players and where they would rank and where they are for a long period of time. And they haven't done anything about that. Didn't do anything about it other than, you know, Isaiah McKenzie in the offseason. So I just, I just don't think that they prioritize it this particular year. And I, I think the fans kind of look at that and go, hey, well, wait a minute. <laughs> I mean, I know it's a rebuild, but when you get that close, it'd be nice to maybe make a player here and then see a win or two coming up. Is that a reasonable thought? Yeah, for a few years now, it's there's always been a couple positions where I feel like either us or, or fans are a lot more alarmed than Chris Ballard has been. You know, it's, they love to they love to draft and develop, and they love to trust guys that they've watched behind the scenes, but. You know, they want to take that next step, and they, they think it's going to come. And sometimes it works, And then, but there's always enough of those ifs going into a year that a couple of them don't work out. And I think back to last year, you know, people wondering why they didn't do more at left tackle than, you know, move Matt Pryor from essentially from the right side of the line to left tackle. Uh, that was one where they, you know, they, they banked on – what they saw behind the scenes and what they believed they'd be able to develop and and it didn't work. Uh, so I don't know if that'll, if that'll happen again. The thing is when it doesn't work, I mean, Chris Ballard has always come back at the end of the year and like he, he, he admits that it didn't work. He, he sees the results and understands it's a results-based business. So it's, sometimes it's one of these where they just want to let it play out and see the proof on the field uh, before they react to it. So I would say that in that sense, I'm guessing one game isn't going to get them there, but uh, I do think that there could be there could certainly be a moment in the next uh, next few weeks. It's certainly you know before the trade deadline where they start looking around and wondering not just running back specifically, but the combination of new run scheme with an offensive line figuring things out, running backs that they didn't really address once Taylor stuff got weird, and then the fact that they decided to roll with only. Uh, four wide receivers total on the roster, and then some other things have been unfortunate with tight end injuries. It's just really snowballed to where it's like they counted on the best-case scenario of all the guys they had left staying healthy and fitting the way they wanted, and just a couple of those not working out kind of has them in a a tricky spot where they may have to reassess. Yeah, I just it, it, it is not good, though, when the fans and the media around here scream and yell about the lack of playmaking ability and skill position players, and then they cross their fingers and so-called count on guys evolving and or not getting injured, and they do. They didn't speak very highly about any forethought as far as the Colts are concerned, organizationally speaking. And that's that's kind of been the way that this thing has worked for a while. So I can kind of understand a fan's disgruntled standpoint, even in a season in which has been described by us as a rebuild. Yeah, I understand it too. You know, there's some of it, some things I think we have to accept this year of they were not going to push the chips in the way they did last year when they signed Stephon Gilmore kind of late. They traded for Yannick Ngakwe. Um, They still could have done more, but they at least did the things. They went out and got high-level players at, at questionable positions. This year, especially on defense, you can understand why they took a little bit more of a tread water approach when they didn't think that they were really close to a title. And it's to them, it was more about, you know, evaluating young players on the roster to see what 2024 brings. But where you can understand sort of the pushback to that is even in that mindset, even looking just in the future way, 
I mean, this is all about building Anthony Richardson in the passing game around him, which means investing in that too. And some of the things that they're passing up on don't really cost much money at all. So this team right now has around $20 million in cap space. If we're talking about signing a capable backup offensive lineman or a right guard who could compete to start or a backup outside wide receiver if Alec Pierce or Michael Pittman Jr. go down or a, start, a running back who can fill in for three weeks when Dak Moss and Jonathan Taylor are gone. Like All of those things can cost just a couple million dollars for guys out there waiting right now for that opportunity. And it just seems like that's where that's where the penny pinching can get a little tiresome to people is that you understand not maybe going all the way out for a Stephon Gilmore uh, in a year like this, but at least raising the floor enough to where, you know, the guys around you have a chance. I think about Shane Steichen and Anthony Richardson are doing this for the first time, and there's going to be some growing pains in that. But you don't want a situation where you just say, well, we gave them absolutely no shot to do the thing that we brought them here to do because of certain deficiencies on the roster. And, again, it's just one game, but I felt that for both of them. I didn't think that Shane Steichen really had a chance to uh, dial up anything aggressive with the way the Jaguars just played back and still dominated the run because of just the lack of, of rushing threats. And then for Anthony Richardson, you know, he, he, I thought, adjusted well to just kind of taking what was there. I never, I did not see him going 24-37 in his first game, but almost the only guy making any plays with the ball was Michael Pittman Jr., and at some point he needed somebody to break a tackle or get loose or, or do something to, to turn one of those six-yard gains into a first down, and it almost didn't happen at all. So right now they've got to figure something out because – uh, you know, it's all about developing those guys, but you don't want them in a position where it doesn't really matter so much what they do if someone else is holding them back. With that ridiculous joke of a running game on Sunday, does that move the needle at all with the Colts as far as Jonathan Taylor is concerned? I mean, I think if you're Jonathan Taylor and his agent, you're feeling better about you know the the idea that you know this this whole thing goes back to the state of the league at running back has been running backs don't matter and they're interchangeable. And some teams have proven if you're replacing an average running back, that can often be the case for this, for an elite back like Taylor, this was going to be the test. And there's just no way anybody in their right mind could look at Sunday and think that Jonathan Taylor would have done the same thing. Understanding that, yes, and I've seen people say this, that there were not, you know, there's not a lot of room to run. The run blocking was not very good. Well, it was not good all of last season, and Jonathan Taylor averaged four and a half yards a carry, and the backfield on Sunday didn't even average two yards a carry. And if you go back to last season, I think it's a good test for it is that in the, the run game got a lot better, after, ironically, after Taylor got hurt last year, and uh, they played the same offensive line and all that. But up until that point, I'd have to go back and check the numbers, but it was staggering to see the difference between Taylor's yards per carry and any other running back they tried last year. It was the same deal as what we just saw on Sunday, just nothing happening on the ground. So I think there's a point where they may start to realize, like, they they maybe thought a little too much about, you know, just changing the scheme and the, and, and the, uh, and the offensive line coach would just transfix this. At the same time, though, the two sides have been so dug in on the difference between how much they think that's worth that I don't know that it's going to move the needle enough. Uh, maybe it opens a little bit of conversation if they, if they lay another dud this week, but uh, it's, it's going to, to me, it's going to take more than just a little compromise. You know, something like Chris Jones just did with the chiefs 
uh, those kind of one-year contracts just to sort of up the pay a little and get him on the field. I've been thinking for a while that's off the table with Jonathan Taylor unless something really changes, someone really has a change of heart. But that they've dug in so far in the two sides that I don't think they left a lot of room for uh, reacting positively like this. So I'm a little skeptical still. I've, Nate Atkins of the Star joins us. I've always explained this as being more of an Ursay decision. Um, Stephen Holder said yesterday it was more of a Ballard decision. I, I just I can't get away from the thought of if Jim Irsay really felt that it was necessary and they were so needy to get Taylor in there for production, for help and support of Anthony Richardson, whatever, that he would find a way to get the money like he did with T.Y. Hilton and push it through. So is this ultimately Ballard? Is Irsay having, you know, just kind of his drawing a line line in the sand here with what he had said earlier about this who is more behind this decision to stand firm against taylor under these circumstances yeah i'm kind of in the middle of of you and steven on this i really think it's pretty shared if i had to pick one who's more uh more the reason i'm going to go with jim ursay for the reasons you're saying is that if he really if he looked at this and really thought like we have to give this rookie quarterback the help he needs, even if it maybe doesn't fit everything as far as how he would traditionally build a team. It's just this moment calls for it too much. He would go and make it happen. He writes the checks, and he spent all of last season kind of doing whatever he wanted and forcing personnel decisions and has gotten involved on this enough already, you know, calling the meeting on the bus with Jonathan Taylor and um, some of the tweets about the CBA and, uh, you know, and, and just just other stuff has, has made you believe he's very much involved. I do absolutely do think that, that Chris Ballard has, has had his own hesitations about paying big money to a running back, doing it the same way he's done it in the past where, uh, you know, he had the comment in the press conference that they only won four games last year. And I, I've always thought I've had a different interpretation of that than others. I think what he's saying is just that the, the, the order of business they've taken to this point did not work. So to just repeat it would be kind of a failure of why they brought Chris Ballard back and asked him to change some things. And so I think some uh, some patience was going to happen with him where he wanted to see Jonathan Taylor come back, run behind this new scheme, see just how valuable that is, see just how much better that is from him than the other backs on the roster, how much they need it. And they just couldn't get it to that point because Jonathan Taylor has no trust that that he'll stay healthy doing that or that there's a reward to staying healthy doing that, which is where uh, distrust, I think, with the, the front office and with, with ownership has come into this. So it's kind of like I think at, at, I think at a certain point, Chris Ballard, Shane Steichen, and, and Jim Mercer were all in the same spot of at least, you know, it's not the time for a big running back contract. Uh, but the way that it got so split apart to where neither side can see each other I think Jim Irsay had a big role in that, not necessarily meaning to, and that's a, that's the thing with Jim Irsay. A lot of times, you know, he could be a well-meaning person who's just, you know, he's just eccentric and and does some things he thinks are, are for the good of the team, but doesn't see the optics of it. And to me, to me, the bus meeting was was one of the biggest moments because if you're Jonathan Taylor, it's one thing for them to not pay you; it's another thing to escort you in front of a sold-out crowd onto a bus to tell you and then everyone afterward that they're not paying you. 
uh, unlike all the other you know franchise cornerstone players on the team. So the approach they're taking has always been justifiable. If they want to change the way they've done business, if they want to you know if they want to be patient, there's a lot of good reasons to get to those points. Uh, but I, I just don't think that uh, I don't think Jim Irsay's way of displaying that in such a public manner has helped things at all. So I, I just think they're kind of all all to blame, and that includes Taylor too, who uh, you know Taylor for three years has kind of said things that he didn't fully believe when it came down to how much he was worth with this team, and just that kind of set up the shock of the moment too. So uh, I, I think it's just kind of been collective. Uh, Collective disagreements all around. Nate Atkins of the Star covers the Colts. He's with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Before I let you go, um, Shane Steichen was was on Sunday. He he was pretty uh, motivated to go for it. Um, he was aggressive, uh, and people have asked me. Um, is that bad coaching? And my response has been, that's who he is. I think that's how he's wired. Unfortunately, it's not the same as what he was doing to dial up aggressive plays as an OC in Philly with what they had on the field offensively compared to here. Is that a tone in which you think he will change or will he keep with this personnel he still has that aggressive nature of play calling that we saw on Sunday? So what was interesting with Shane is he was aggressive on the fourth down decisions, but I thought a lot less aggressive in the, you know, actual play design and, and script of the game. I thought he really tried to keep Anthony Richardson efficient with. Yeah, they eased know, him in. There's no doubt. Yeah. Yeah, but then yeah, they got aggressive on fourth down. That's where you know he's so he's so conditioned to, you know, if he gets the fourth and one, fourth and two. You know, he loves that uh, that rugby-style quarterback sneak, and he has a quarterback who's, you know, 6'4", 255 pounds. To him, that's to him that's similar to having Jalen Hurts do it, and they converted so many last year. And I think the moment here where it, it looked to me like Deion Jackson wasn't 100% ready for it, but also the offensive line obviously didn't get the same push. Anthony's not as used to running that play. It's just one of those week one things you see all the time where until you're actually out there against the defense giving it everything with – First, you know, first string caliber players in a scheme, you don't quite know what you're working with, and so I think over time, you know, he's going to try and maintain that same sort of philosophy of of when to go for it. But it does it does come down to how much you trust what you have to do it. And that's where I think you had Jonathan Taylor in the backfield. You know, some of these fourth and fourth and two, fourth and threes are different decisions than you know having having Jake Funk back there. And then the same goes for if you had the Eagles offensive line or if you have. Uh, the Colts' offensive line right now. So we'll see. I think he definitely wants to maintain that edge and, and be who he is. That's why they hired him, and, it, and he's he's been working with that confidence since he arrived. But at some point, you also have to you have to realize like you have to you have to ask your players to do things you think they're actually capable of doing, and and that can always change a little bit. All right, this is kind of out of left field here, and this is I guess an opinion question for you more than anything else to close, but we saw Aaron Rodgers go down last night after what, three plays uh, in his career with the Jets, Um, and a lot of people today are citing the MetLife Stadium turf. Thus, I think everybody with turf stadium fields around the NFL are probably going to take, at least for the short-term future, a little bit of heat. I'm curious, you think that there's ever going to be a mandate from the NFL that all these stadiums be played on natural gla- natural grass? You think that's coming? Uh, 
with especially this type of hype surrounding that injury last night. It's just a thought. It may be ridiculous, but it's a thought I had. Yeah, I mean, I think if there's ever a chance, it's moments like Aaron Rodgers going down after, you know, he was you – know, the league is so much about its image and how that feeds just the beast of it in the bottom line. And you have a situation where you know, the team they put on hard knocks because of one quarterback, that one quarterback goes down in week one. Uh, it definitely raises a few more alarm bells. You know, they've tried to leave that up to the teams, but at the same time, the league has found ways over the over the course of time to sort of force – changes they used to do it by keeping you know los angeles open as a sort of a you know a threat point to where if cities don't improve their stadiums you know there's always that risk of them moving now that actually you know that ended up having with happening with two teams and then you know vegas was another example of that they finally put a team in vegas so it's kind of hard to do that with everybody uh threaten everybody like that rather than go at one stadium specifically so, uh, you know, I could see where MetLife, MetLife specifically has had a lot of uh, a lot of that talk over the years, uh, you know, players speaking out especially, and I could see them kind of really drilling down on a specific situation yeah. like that. I remember the Edwards Jones Dome several years ago, even to the point where Reggie Bush was suing them. Uh, that, that kind of came to a head too, and, and that, you know, I think that was a factor in that team looking around uh, about its long-term future. But it's going to be hard to kind of mandate it across the entire league because at the end of the day, you know, the Roger Goodell works for the owners. So it's going to come down to what the owners think about, you know, that situation, yeah. how it, you know, how much it's going to cost to change it, how much it matters to them that players are not happy about it, how much power the players can find to do anything about it. And But just over over the course of history, what I've always learned is, like, you know, the, the, the owners decide what goes here. And so – Players can get hurt and players can get upset, but until we get uh, the owners of the team specifically, collectively, as upset as they are, um, I, I tend to think that a, like a league-wide mandate like that is not uh, super realistic. All right. Within the last five minutes, Jake Funk signed to the 53-man roster from the practice squad, and uh, Evan Hall goes to the IR. So that was – I'm assuming that you – probably thought that that was coming at some point today yeah i think when uh when shade sykin said that evan hall could miss a few games i think we kind of knew yeah there's going to be a little, little bit of shuffling there and, and jake funk was you know he was he was a game day addition uh, on sunday so he obviously is going to move up it'll just be interesting because as of right now zach moss isn't back yet uh jake funk could be your number two behind Deion jackson so i think they still have a little bit of work to do but again like i said <laughs> Um, if Zach Moss is out there practicing tomorrow, maybe maybe they they are okay yeah. with that. All right, man. I appreciate you as always, Nate. Um, especially when I know this is your day off. But uh, we'll see you back in the stadium when the Colts get back in a couple of weeks, and have you back on. I'm sure sooner than that. I appreciate you, man. Thank you. Yep. Thanks. Have me anytime. It's uh, Nate Atkins of the Star via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Yeah, it was just kind of a. That's kind of a throw-in question there regarding you know grass field. It, you think about it in in terms of last night, and then you know, everything really gets magnified with that in mind. And I, I thought Nate was right in his answer about yeah, yeah, probably not. But I thought it was worthy of at least lobbing a question, uh, considering the turf here uh, is not natural grass. And I know a lot of you were upset. I guess you were upset, right? Because the roof and the window wasn't open. 
It was going to get 80 degrees before 3 o'clock, so that's part of that criteria. Telling you, just weld the son of a gun shut. I will say this. When there's a concert going on in there or in games, the greatest all-time, I'll say this for the other side, the greatest game that I ever enjoyed to the highest level in that building you know and obviously when they won the AFC title game that was inside the dome but the window and the roof was open and it was absolutely glorious I'll explain that to you coming up on the other side and uh, certainly top of the hour will get you there Rake Straw Spielberger Adkins podcast 107.5thefan.com the Harris Hoosier Park race of the day coming up too Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. The Ride with JMV. They call me Cuba Pete. I'm the king of a rumba beat. When I play the maracas, I go chick chicky boom, chick chicky boom. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. You know, it kind of happened, obviously, during a point in the year in which there wasn't a great deal of focus on it, but we haven't discussed Team USA in basketball. <laughs> Hey, listen, I think defense sucks. Don't get me wrong, but it is necessary. And when you factor in that effort against both Germany and Canada and not meddling at all, that just can't happen. Hey, it's well passed and really nobody gave too much of a crap about it, whatever. But man, you got to meddle. <laughs> I, I, and I like Steve Kerr and I like Eric Spolster and I like Mark Few but I don't know what the hell they were trying to do defensively against Germany it was like they were just waiting on their team to get on like a 10-0 run and to put Germany away yeah the hell with it on this end we'll just wait and Germany was shot-making relentless. I mean, hell, nobody watched the Canada bronze game, I don't think, unless you're in Ontario. And then you get done in by 39 from Dylan Brooks. Ouch. Ouch. (laughs) Come on, I got a medal. Come on. They could not guard you. Seriously, they could not guard you. And every single thing, it was like a ball screen. Every single time Germany would get a ball screen and get a guy they wanted matched up against uh, Reeves. I mean, sometimes it was Halliburton. And Germany just went out there and got all the matchups that they wanted, and then Team USA would run down the floor and you know shoot a step-back three. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Terrible. Uh, JMV, my gosh, I hope you didn't say 80 degrees is a threshold for the Colts to keep the Lucas Oil roof closed. Uh, 80 degrees and sunny. You will not see that thing cracked between uh, 1 and 4 o'clock. 
Seriously. If it's 80 degrees and the sun is out, they won't crack it. That, that's why I've just suggested. Yeah, I mean, I, I like it. I like it open for concerts when I've been in there. And I say that plural. I saw you two and Beck in there, and it was just an outstanding night in September about three or four years ago. You go back to the Manning return game. The roof and window was open. It was like 45 degrees. It was the best game that I've ever seen in there. And not because of the outcome, just because of the atmosphere. Loved it. But no, that's the threshold. And also, you can't have any clouds uh, with any sort of precipitation in them that would be anywhere near the vicinity of central Indiana. But now, seriously, that's the threshold. I, I knew some people that were shocked by the decision. And you know me, I, I, I'm so tired of the debate. It's like that debate and the Andrew Luck stuff wears me out. But that part is true. I would prefer to see it open anytime it's over 50 and not raining, sleet, or snowing. And, and the reason why is the Colts bench is basically in the sunfield the entire game. And I don't know who in the world constructed it that way. I mean, I'm, I know I'm not like Mike Brady of architecture or anything, but I don't know who in the world designed it that way. But if you remember in the past when the sun has been out and the, the roof and the window have been open and the sun and it's hot and it's beating down on the Colts sideline and then they have to get some of their the ball boys and staff members over there to hold these big rectangular pieces of drywall over the players' heads when they're sitting on the bench. So I don't know if there was no drywall available um or the ball boys had other things to do whatever i don't know but uh that uh, certainly has been a designing flaw of that place but uh that's true so you can if you've seen that before they they hold up those rectangular pieces of what looks to be drywall i know it's not but it's what it looks like but 80 degrees 80 degrees and sunny i should maintain 80 degrees and sunny. If there's a little bit of cloud cover or something uh, where there's going to be no rain, then maybe it's open then. At GMV, I heard George Costanza was the architect. <laughs> it wasn't well thought out, that wasn't. Especially for home field advantage. You want to leave the other team in that sun field and the Colts are in it. And certainly everybody in the Bud Light zone, I know you guys up there are in that too when it's open and it's sunny out. Uh, Jamvi, maybe they didn't want Anthony Richardson fighting the shadows as well. No, that's, that's there's some truth to that. They should have just made it a dome. Now, there's, I think there's truth to the Richardson thing too. But from what I'm told, it's like sunny and 80. Anytime between one and three, you're going to see that thing shut. And, you know, how many more opportunities are you going to have? You got one game coming up with the Rams in a couple of weeks at the end of September. So, yeah, we'll see. Doesn't often happen. 
But certainly there was a lot of questions on that on Sunday, and that is the reason why. Checkpoint? Is it 239-1070? Hello, Checkpoint. Yeah, it wasn't Constanza. It was Art Vandalay. Yeah, I know. The architect. I know. Well, I was just reading this. I was reading this dude's tweet. I, I gave you the Mike Brady. The, Mike, see, when it in terms of architecture, Mike Brady is the first person I think of. Not even Costanza or Art Vandalay. I gotcha. Yeah. I gotcha. And uh, Louisville guy, uh, he needs to be quiet because wasn't Rick Pitino down there running a chicken ranch for his ball players? So. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, I mean, even uh, even messing up the tablecloth, I think, in an Italian. I mean, yeah. everything they they were all over yeah. the map down there. Yeah, I would stay. Yeah. I would stay. I would kind of you know look at the team that I cover and and stay shut up about it. So if exactly. I were them, exactly. Hey, I just wanted to, you know the yeah the running uh, backs uh, were just not. We don't have guys that can run between the tackles. Now Zach Moss gets back. Yes, he can run between the tackles, but uh, my gosh, why didn't we just pay Jonathan uh, Taylor maybe eight million? Give him eight million to this year, and then we'll redo your contract. Give him something because uh, what's going to happen is Anthony Richardson's going to get killed back there. Because if you're if Anthony Richardson's doing the read option. Do you think the defenses are going with the running back? No, they're going to stay and spy on him because he's a bigger threat than Jake. Well, they're, they're not. They're uh-huh. not in the the least bit going to be worried about the the running game that the Colts have. No. They, the most worried they are is about Richardson, and then you know once he gets outside, and I know that that's going to be part of his his forte and a signature of his. Right. But I like anybody else that scares the crap out of me. Yes, and. And then the last thing I just want to say is uh, we've sat here for, what, three years and no wide receivers. I mean, I'm, I'm just sick to my stomach. When you start a football team, you start with the quarterback and then maybe a left tackle. And then the third guy has got to be wide receiver. Why we – this Chris Ballard has not put a re, uh, uh, any emphasis on the right, wide receiver position is beyond me. Devontae Adams was available last year, and yes, Calvin Ridley. Why? I mean, he's better than both those. Two no, guys well, and, and, and you're right. And even with the production and, and checkpoint, thank you. Even with the production of Michael Pittman Jr., it's, it, this is still not a serious effort. Come on, it's just not. Not a serious effort. Hey, Inside the Lounge via YouTube Live with a ride with JMV is brought to you by Wynn Schuler's, Indy's favorite cheese spreads. I know everybody inside the lounge loves themselves some cheese, original cheddar, sharp cheddar, bacon and cheddar, and more. The Lounge via YouTube Live brought to you by Wynn Schuler's, Indy's favorite cheese spreads, available at Meyer and Kroger locations in central Indiana. The Harris Hoosier Park race of the day, 50-50 betting and dining on the line, and more of your calls to close out this Tuesday edition, 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. 
The Ride with JMV. We're not going to fall for a banana in the tailpipe. You're not going to fall for the banana in the tailpipe? It should be more natural, brother. It should flow out like this. Look, man, I ain't falling for no banana in my tailpipe. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Track size tonight is 7 o'clock. Hence the wheels re-entry from Foo Fighters right here. Kevin and Kevin coming at you. The end of the IndyCar season this past weekend. Harris Hoosier Park race of the day. Josh Sparks. I know Josh. I don't know Josh. I know a lot of Sparks. Family members. Josh, are you a member of the Sparks family from southwestern Indiana around Greene County? A lot of Sparks family members down there. Uh, Meantime, the winning horse was... Was this called Racing Machine? Uh, paid out twenty six eighty on a two dollar bet. The two dollar exacta was two hundred ninety nine twenty. The uh, fifty cent trifecta went for three sixty six oh five. That's your Harris Hoosier Park race of the day. Fifty fifty in betting and dining from Harris Hoosier Park Racing and Casino in Anderson. We do this Tuesday through Friday right here. Your chance to win. I'm gonna tell you what too. Um, the betting thing you know about, but the dining at Harris Hoosier Park Racing and Casino in Anderson is top notch, everybody. Get up there with that fifth, grab yourself a steak and thank me later. And you know what? If you want to get mashed potatoes with that steak, a little gravy lake instead of a baked potato, that's okay. Do that too. Don't let people tell you I have to have a baked potato with the steak. Go mashed potatoes if you want. But I'm telling you, it's legit. Maybe one of these days, too, a little JMV takeover on Saturday night up there. I remember both Harris Hoosier Park and then and down in Shelbyville, too. They, uh, they kind of thought about that back in the day. And after what was nearly two weeks ago now, a fantastic debut on the road with the JMV takeover. Uh, It is not out of the realm of possibility that at some point we'll be back on the road again. Just wondering aloud. Uh, Evan Hall, the rookie running back, knee injury on Sunday. You saw that. He was placed on injured reserve. So he's got to miss at least four games. At least four of the uh, next games upcoming for the Colts. That begins coming up on Sunday down in Houston. Jake Funk now is a part of the 53-man roster, so somewhere Tony Katz, morning host downstairs on 93 WIBC, is incredibly happy about that. We'll see if that's long-lasting, too. Uh, The return maybe to a game situation on Sunday for Zach Moss. We shall see, and maybe the days to come if the Colts end up signing a veteran running back presence. We talked about that with Nate Atkins of the Star a little bit earlier. Brad Spielberger of Pro Football Focus and Greg Rakestraw. A lot of things, including high school football, collegiate football, and of course the IU dropping Louisville situation with Greg. The podcast 107.5thefan.com The newly sponsored lounge via YouTube Live. Win Schuler's Cheese Spread. You guys are really happy about that. Thanks for doing what you always do every day right here. James, great job out of you as well. Butch and Aaron on hold. You call tomorrow, I'll get you in before anybody else. That's the Wednesday edition of this show. 93.5-1075, the fan. Have a great night. 
Mecham Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Mecham's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairground. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Mecham experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Mecham.com.